We are back and you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host Garland Nixon. Thank you, Wilmer. Europe shows a united front against Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. German Finance Minister Christian Linder and French Minister of Economy, Finance and Reconstruction Bruno Le Maire criticized the U.S. anti-inflation law as discriminating against European countries or companies. For insight into this, let's turn to our next guest. He's a podcaster and host of The Left is Dead, James Carey. James, welcome back. Always good to be here. So EU member states are firmly opposed to Biden's anti-inflation bill, fearing it's going to hurt their domestic businesses and their economies. And I think looking at the people that are pouring into the streets, protesting their economic circumstances also uh, gives uh, motivation to them as well. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> obviously everyone's a little bit scared. Um, France, it was, you know, is a big player in this. France recently held off another, you know, um, surge by Marine Le Pen uh, by continuing the same economic policies. And I think European leaders are starting to realize that the same economic policies aren't going to, to work forever because the U.S. clearly has its own interests at heart, and the U.S. is running out of things to capitalize on. So we've reverted to a really a sort of old tactic, but essentially with the, the tariff system that we set up wars with the U.K. and you know Europe with before, um, I think you're starting to see that Europe's looking to find a way where which is good. They don't want it to be dependent on either bloc, the East or West. I think they, they deserve a spot as their own, you know, economic power, whether they have to be a bloc or not, I don't know. But um, I think you're seeing that there's a lot of pressure to bolster the U.S. dollar, and that means a lot of pressure on Europe to basically suffer because all we have left is, you know, the competition they provide for the globe for the global market because they we don't import too much but the competition they provide for the global market and then the idea that somehow you know our, our success is going to depend on their failure unfortunately because we like i said we're running out of place to capitalize on that's why they're trying to sell you real estate in the metaverse right <laughs> so <laughs> we're running out of things to actually charge for and i think europe's starting to feel the brunt of that you know, I also think that part of this, maybe I'm wrong, but I'll throw this at you. They're getting heat from their people and their people are like, you know, because everybody's starting to sing the same song. My gosh, you know, the the the, the leaders of um, the European countries are spineless, that the European countries have no autonomy. They're nothing but puppets. They're being taken to the cleaners and whitewashed and hung out to dry by the U.S. empire. And they're looking bad like they won't push back for anything. And I think they also maybe feel like we got to do something to make it appear as though we're pushing back because we are looking just— they're just being humiliated and degraded in front of the entire world. And maybe this is some way that the little puppies can kind of push back and say, oh, please, master, don't beat us anymore. James. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the latest in a string of embarrassments. Um, take France, for example. You have, you know, Biden undercuts Macron on a sub deal. Uh, the entire EU was angry when Trump thought he was going to pull out of northern Syria. You know, we remember that they don't want to end NATO missions. Boris Johnson was angry when we tried to leave Afghanistan. So or when we did leave, um, you're seeing these countries sort of take a lot of L's lately. And I think that now 
the biggest one of all is asking them to freeze their citizens through the winter and telling them it's, you know, it's for a good cause. That's not going to be enough to hold people over. And again, like I said, Macron was elected as essentially a, not Le Pen, right? So you can only do that so long. The longer you keep electing these leaders in the EU, these neoliberal consensus types, the longer you keep doing that, the, it's, all you're doing is both putting off the far right dissension a little bit and you're making it worse when it does get there. And I think that they can finally see that because there is no other viable competition to somebody in Europe, like a, a Green Party even, or uh, a centrist, the center-right, center-left party. There's no competition for them besides the far right at this point. Maybe a little bit of the left in France and things like that, but not enough that they're going to be the actual contender for, say, the presidency or something like that. And I think that uh, a lot of Europeans are scared of these anti-NATO, anti-EU parties coming up, whether they be from the left or right, although I think it'll mostly be from the right. Is it too simplistic to say that what's playing out before us is the battle between the financial capitalists and the industrialists? And that, as the uh, African adage says, when the elephants fight, the grass suffers. Yeah, I think so. I think that the thing is, is uh, we've managed to out financial capital, even the other financial capitals, right? Um, we have this financial capitalism that competes with, uh, mildly competes with, say, London or Paris, uh, as far as banking goes, and obviously Germany. You know, Berlin's a huge factor here too. But we've always competed with these people financially, but they don't have the same type of free market exploitative economy we do that we can actually make money, you know, out of thin air much easier than they can. And I think that they want to do that, but at the same time, they can't get the EU quite over that mark to become like a reserve currency. I mean, you saw a reaction when Saddam tried using the Euro uh, instead of the dollar. And I don't think that that's going to fly anywhere else. Uh, and I think they want, clearly nobody in Europe is going to go for a full on alliance with China but obviously nobody trusts the U.S. anymore, whether it be Trump or Biden. You know, these are, these are Biden's protectionist policies that they're mad about now and Biden's war in Ukraine that they're mad about now. So I think they're seeing that the financialization economy, you know, a devil invented in London, of course, like everything else that ruins these economies. But we've perfected it like everything else London has done. <laughs> and I think that they're starting to see that there are no more resources to extract. There are no more people to make suffer. The only people left are either here at home or it's going to be our closest allies. And as things get worse, it's going to be our closest allies more and more until it does finally come home. You know, look at even uh, ideological allies like, say, Bolsonaro in Brazil during the uh, pandemic, you know, the crisis over vaccines. <laughs> Trump said, I don't think so, pal. You're not getting them. So even our allies, whether they be ideological or economical, I think are starting to see the writing on the wall that, hey, the austerity is coming to you because we have elections, to win. especially right now, we have a Biden at elections to win. And I heard that IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, touted all over the place. But it's only going to freeze out more enemies that we've, well, more allies that we've already been freezing out for the last, I don't know, since 2003, I'd suppose. Michael Hudson has a new book, in fact. The title of the book is The Destiny of Civilization, Finance Capitalization, Industrial Capitalism, excuse me, Finance Capitalism, Industrial Capitalism, Socialism. And what we're finding with finance capitalism is it kind of has a finite size to it. It runs out of, you know, invisible money. It runs out of asset-backed securities. And at some point it needs stuff. And when 
a finance capitalist country goes to a third country and says, we want your stuff. But industrial company, like we go to another country and China goes to another country. China has something concrete to offer them. With finance capitalism, you have nothing to offer them in return, except we'll overthrow your government and steal your stuff. And you aren't able to expand in a win-win scenario. So the other countries reject you. And I think that's kind of what the finance capitalism is running into world wide. When it has to compete against industrial capitalism, it's going to lose every time. James. Oh, no, that's not fair. We offer them loans if they give us all their stuff. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, that's it. We don't have much to offer. That's why, like I said, um, you know, we have the geniuses of the market here, like Mark Zuckerberg trying to sell real estate in the metaverse. Um, that's where they're at at this point. I don't think financial capital, the only way it can increase its rate of profit in these times, especially as we're going into this downturn, is to continue austerity inside both the major corporations and in the states they operate in. Um, I don't know that you're going to be able to push austerity too far in a lot of these countries without things going absolutely belly up for you. Uh, They don't want another, you know, the big capital doesn't want another Donald Trump here. They don't want a Viktor Orban anywhere else in the EU. They don't want Marine Le Pen. Um, They'll get along with her over a leftist for sure, but they don't want to see these things. And again, all that the U.S. has to offer is this sort of uh, idea of a currency. It's these loans where you're going to have to implement austerity. You're going to have to give us the things we want at the prices we want them at. And that's not sustainable for these production economies either because they can't. I mean, you can't give away your resources for the demands that the U.S. makes because the U.S. will put pressure on a lot of countries that make them the exclusive dealer. And you have to do it. I mean, you have countries where 80% of their output goes to the U.S., all the countries around us, you know. Um, what would they do? Should we make a demand on how they, you know, how they give us things or what we give to them as far as finance goes? They have to take it, you know. Canada had to sign a new deal with Donald Trump as far as NAFTA goes. Uh, everybody else is going to have to take it. And the only other way is to build an alternate system. And I think the EU, in order to do that, is going to have the help of China, whether they want to integrate them too much or not. And Michael Hudson, I think, makes a very good point. He talks about in the United States, the central planning of the uh, of the economy has been taken out of the hands of the government and put in the hands of Wall Street. And he compares that with in London and in China and in others. It's a mixed economy. The government works with business to plan the economy so China can pull a billion people out of poverty as its economy continues to grow. Whereas the United States, that is nowhere near being pulling people out of out of poverty is nowhere near a focus because Wall Street doesn't give a damn about that. Yeah, I think that, you know, you see this um, in a lot of our sectors here that uh, competition is the name of the game, whereas it's not offering anything. It's you swap out the public sector for these private companies who compete for it and their job is to try and make the price as low as possible. And I uh, think that that's both ineffective, but I also think it's dangerous because I think when you look at states like say China and the way forward for production is AI and things like this, these new technologies, the Chinese state is working on those. Whereas who's working on them here? You know, you have Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, three completely inhuman people nobody can relate to working on these massive projects in the dark and we have no idea what's going on and yet 
they'll compete with each other. And then there's the idea of planned economies where we don't have one as far as nationwide goes, but internally, plenty of places do. Amazon has a planned economy. It relies on many of the government's services like the post office and things like that. Walmart has a planned economy internally that relies on government services like, say, food stamps for their employees or local tax deductions. You know, the planned economy exists here, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's, he's right. It's run by the corporations and their financiers, basically. I mean, we have the Federal Reserve in agreement with most of the banks right now looking to punish the labor market, and they say as much explicitly. So I think finance capital as it goes is the only way it can t- continue to grow is by continuing to cut where it spends. And, the only, you know, that's only going to lead to disaster. Yeah. And, and and I think the other issue is we are technologically, because of all of those things and because of our education system, we are in reverse in compared to China. We're not. It's not that they're passing us. They're in drive and, and we're, we're in, in reverse. reverse. <laughs> James Carey, as always, man, thank you so much for your time. Greatly, greatly appreciate that analysis. We look forward to having you back. All right. Thank you, guys. Folks, you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon. I'm joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. There's more on the other side. Stay tuned. 